Support for this program is provided by Chevron. This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder. The massive UN climate conference taking place in Scotland for the past two weeks came to a close this weekend, albeit a day later than originally planned. It took until Saturday for all 200 countries to come to consensus on an agreement to fight climate change and aid vulnerable countries. Now, many nations are describing that agreement as imperfect and unsatisfying, but ultimately a step forward in limiting global warming. I think that countries were pretty happy with where things ended up. I think everybody moved a little bit, gave a little bit. Nobody got exactly what they wanted. That is the spirit of compromise. Today, my colleague, Zach Coleman, who's been covering the conference for the past two weeks, caught up with Politico Energy producer Norman Malaykel. Zach breaks down the New Deal and what that means for the global fight against climate change. It's Monday, November 15th. So, Zach, COP26 is finally over after two weeks. It actually ran a bit long. Let's start here. What were the main points of the final agreement and what does it mean? Yeah, one of the main points of the final agreement is that we're going to come back next year if countries haven't updated their climate pledges enough to look at them again. Because the idea here is we want to close the gap between where we are now in terms of temperature projections and then get closer to the 1.5 degrees C goal. Uh, One of the other big things that was on the table was phasing down coal and phasing out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. This was actually the first time ever that the UN Climate Conference put those words, fossil fuels, into a closing text, which is pretty remarkable considering this is a climate change conference. And lastly, some new goals for finance for developing nations. And that was a really important coming to the COP. There needed to be some trust issues resolved between nations that hadn't lived up to goals to deliver $100 billion worth of finance to poorer nations. And that is uh, certainly something that was front and center at the COP. So you mentioned coal in the deal and you mentioned the historic context surrounding it. But it also sounds like there was a concerted push by nations to weaken coal in the agreement. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So what happened was up until the last minute, the language in the text read that we would phase out coal and phase out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. But then India and China didn't like that language. They hadn't raised uh, any issues with it really up until we were about ready to finish the COP. And then they raised it on the floor saying, we don't want this kind of coal language. We want to change it. So what happened was John Kerry, Franz Timmermans from the EU, and then China and India's top negotiators went into a back room with the UK COP president, Alok Sharma, and actually hammered out some sort of deal that was workable. So it went from phasing out coal to phasing down coal, which is a little nebulous as to what that means, what timeline are we working with, how do you track these metrics. And this change was presented on the floor, and it caught everybody off guard. I mean, the criticism from a lot of small island states was, we're going to have our livelihoods upended the most immediately and most clearly by climate change. And you had these four countries in a back room deciding our fate. That's not cool with us. That being said, it was something that everybody swallowed because it was the type of thing you need. You need countries to sign off on this. And China and India drew a red line at the last minute. 
Now, I know another piece of the negotiations had to do with setting up rules for carbon markets, and we know that those markets are really important to ensuring that what countries and companies say they're doing is actually resulting in a benefit for the planet. What did we see agreed to there? You know, with Article 6 is what it's called, the carbon markets rules, there's now going to be a transition period that allows for greenhouse gases that they haven't started to really wrap into their national climate plans. There's going to now be a transition period that allows for some trading until they account for that. There's also now going to be uh, moving some older credits that were viewed to be less quality into this new system. And a lot of people had said, well, let's not have low quality credits. That means that we don't necessarily uh, think they're getting the carbon reductions that uh, they claim to. The jury is out on how that will all work. A lot of people say, well, companies aren't going to buy those credits because everybody knows they're poor quality. But there is still some concern that there would be a gaming of the system. Either way, there are now rules for carbon markets. There are now guidelines set for this burgeoning market, and it will be setting the rules of the road. So this is a two-part question. One, we know what was in the agreement, but what wasn't addressed? And two, how confident can we be that any of this will actually come to fruition? What it didn't address was set a clear goal for finance for poorer nations. There is a push to come back and start working on that new goal in 2024. But I think a lot of countries were still not very satisfied with how finance is even defined. I mean, what makes up climate finance. There's some concern that countries sort of repurpose other finance and call it climate. So you're not actually bringing more money to the table. You're actually just shifting accounts. So I think that that's something that really needs to still be worked on. And I think we're going to also have to see what kind of metrics are we setting up for assessing what this phase down of coal looks like and even defining what inefficient fossil fuel subsidies are. I mean, what is an inefficient fossil fuel subsidy? I don't think that that was very well defined, intentionally so, to get agreement from countries that might have a different version of what inefficient means. So another thing that hasn't been resolved is the topic of loss and damage. And this is essentially compensation for the most vulnerable of people affected by the effects of climate change. Basically, low-lying nations and people who cannot really easily adapt to everything that's happening to them. And there was some progress there by creating an instrument that will connect those populations with technical assistance to learn how best to protect their populations from rising seas and wildfires and drought. But that being said, what they wanted was money. There was some money put forward by Scotland and the region of Wallonia in Belgium. So this was the first time that money was actually put behind this effort of loss and damage. The issue for rich countries is they think that putting forward any money creates a legal liability for the emissions that they have put in the air that is causing the climate change that is destroying people's homes. So that is something that will really be a focus going forward. It's, it's basically climate reparations. And it's, it's a demand of vulnerable nations and it's a red line for rich ones. Also, President Joe Biden and China's President Xi Jinping will hold their much anticipated virtual summit on Monday evening. The two sides are looking to dial back tensions after getting off to a rough start since Biden took office earlier this year. The meeting will be the third engagement between the two leaders since February. It comes on the heels of a joint agreement between the U.S. and China last week that was announced during the U.N. climate talks. 
The two countries pledged to increase their cooperation and speed up action to rein in climate damaging emissions. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morning energy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lowercarbon.